Are you interested in making your own podcast? If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. They have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and many more. You guys can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And in fact, I'm using Anchor and I love it. If you're interested, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, everybody. This is Heidi St. John. Welcome to Off the Bench. I'm really excited you guys are here today because today I'm going to air part two of my interview with author and podcaster, Allie Stuckey. Allie's here to talk about her new book, You're Not Enough, and That's Okay. And we're going to go through the second part of five myths that we're believing in the culture today. These are myths that are popularized by the culture of trendy narcissism, and they reveal what is happening in the politics and in our churches. This is a fascinating conversation. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Let's look at myth number four. Uh, this is a this is a big one. Uh, you're gonna make some enemies, Allie Beth. I'm not gonna lie to you right now. Okay, so uh, myth number four: you're entitled to your dreams. Why am I not entitled to my dreams? Tell me why. Well, we have been told. I would say my generation, especially, has been told that not only can you do anything that you want to do, but you will be able to do anything you want to do. And if you can't do something that you want to do, it might not be your fault. We are convinced a lot of us mm. and it's kind of everybody gets a trophy world. Yeah, I was just going to say and a trophy and you get a trophy and you get a yes. trophy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We are convinced that we must have the dream life that we have always wanted to have and not just eventually, but fairly quickly. So if we are not paid what we want to be paid, but also doing the job that completely fulfills us, and meets all of our demands and talents. Not only do we feel unfulfilled because that's kind of normal, but a lot of a lot of people, I wouldn't say any of my friends, but a lot of millennials feel that that is um, unfair. It is evidence of an injustice in the system because we should be able to live whatever life we want to live immediately. Uh, after college, no questions asked. And for the Christian, we don't believe that we are entitled to anything. Nowhere in God's word does he say say that you are entitled to the dream life that you want or that your dreams are going to come true. They might, and that would be, you know, that's wonderful and awesome if that's what God has planned for your life. But you might have in mind that you want to um, be a famous pianist or something. And that's not what he has in the cards for you. And God doesn't say that you're supposed to twiddle your thumbs and complain until you get there. But he says, and whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God and work as for the Lord, not for man. That is what God calls us to do, to do things excellently that are right in front of us. And we might get our dream job one day, and I don't think there is anything wrong with hoping for that and working towards that as long as that's not becoming your identity or your idol. But we are called to have joy and to work hard in the things that are right in front of us. And I can say as someone who has a, a wonderful job that I love, that I do feel fulfills me in a lot of ways and checks off 
so many of the boxes that I've always had for my job, it's still, once you get there, it's not going to be enough. You're still going to wonder what would it be like if I wasn't doing this? Could I, you know, get, get this next thing or reach this next goal or go this different direction? Or I still feel anxious. I still don't feel satisfied. I still don't know if I'm enough. You know, all of these feelings of insecurity that you feel in the job that you don't like, you're still going to feel in the job that you like. Again, not necessarily wrong to not wrong to pursue those things and to hope for those things, but to realize you're not entitled to those things. And we are called to be obedient and work excellently and joyfully in the here and now, no matter what our job is. Well, and I, I love that you said, you know, that that we have been instructed because again, we take our, our truth and our instructions from the word of God, whatever you do, we're supposed to do it for the glory of God. God is resolutely committed to his own glory, not to mine, not to yours. He's committed to his own glory. Large part of the reason why I think the church is really under judgment right now in the United States, we have not been given, uh, we've not been given glory to the Lord. We are giving glory to lots of other things. And it's evident right now we're seeing this uh, play out in the church. Something that you said that I want to go back to for just because I wrote it down. And I know that you didn't necessarily mean to camp out on this, but I was like, oh, no, there's a good lesson in that. You were talking about uh, people who are wishing, you know, they they feel entitled to this, you know, this job or that job, you know, disclaimer, I actually worked my way through uh, college at, um, or uh, at Taco Bell, <laughs> not oh, the most awesome. amazing job in the whole wide world. And I wasn't there for very long, but it taught me some really good lessons. I should write a book. What I learned at Taco Bell. I learned a lot yeah. of things. Um, and it was actually good for me. Was it my dream job? No. Did I want to stay there after like, actually after the first like shift? No, I actually didn't. But something I noticed that you said was that not any of your friends are they're not that you don't basically what you're saying is you don't hang around with people who feel self-entitled and uh, have a bad attitude. And the Bible says that bad company corrupts good character. I think this is a really good point. I know maybe you didn't necessarily mean, mean to make it, but I think it's such a great point for the parents listening. It actually matters who your kids hang out with. If the yeah. Bible teaches us that bad company corrupts good character, if your kids are hanging out with other kids who are, you know, uh, self in, you know, entitled and, you know, living for likes on Instagram and all these things, that actually is going to have a pretty devastating effect on your kids long term. Would you agree with that, Allie? Yes, I absolutely agree with that. And that's not a point that I make in the book, but I think it's an excellent, uh, an excellent thing to point out. And I do think that you kind of just gravitate like minded People, not that all my friends are exactly the same, but when I think about it, the people that I've worked with, like the people that I worked with at my at my first job, I was just so fortunate to have such wonderful coworkers and having a, a good attitude and wanting to work hard was a high priority and a high value at that particular workplace. And a lot of those people are still my friends, the friends that I have from high school and college, all working hard in their jobs now. Do we all have days where we're like, you know, I really, I don't like what I'm doing right now, or this happened, right. this was unfortunate, or, you know, I wish I was doing this. Uh, of course we do. But this attitude of everything is unfair and, and stacked against me, and I deserve more, I deserve better. No, I don't have friends like that. And I also don't have people who work for me that are like that. And that's just another piece of encouragement for people out there, especially young people who are going into jobs, bosses don't like that attitude. I don't care nope. how, quote, progressive we get as a society. Yep. Employers don't want that kind of employee who feel like they don't have to work for the next thing. Ambitious, yes. Hardworking, yes. Looking towards the next goals, sure. 
but entitlement, no one wants to work with or have that person work for them who has that attitude of entitlement. And it's not more kind to God either. No, it's not. And it's so interesting because what we're seeing pushed in the culture right now is entitlement. Like I am entitled to healthcare. I am entitled to, you know, whatever it is, you know, affirmative action really is entitlement, right? It's a form of entitlement, but you make such a good point. Even the most progressive liberal professor who is employing people is not going to, that is not a virtue. They're not going to look for that in an employee, but yet these are the kinds of things that we're promoting as good for our kids. Boy, it's an upside down. uh, We're living in an upside down world right now. Fell down the rabbit hole. All right. Myth number five. Uh, This is another really great one. You can't love others. I think this might be Oprah. I'm not sure. You can't love others until you love yourself. Now that sounds really good on its face, but it's based in a lie. Tell us why that's a myth. Yes. So this is also, I would say in the church as well, it comes from a misinterpretation of uh, Jesus said to love, uh, to love your neighbor as you love yourself, which means you have to love yourself before you love your neighbor. But that has been a myth and a horrible interpretation that has been debunked for many, many years. C.S. Lewis wrote about this in Mere Christianity, that when Jesus tells us that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, that love that he is talking about is not affection. It's not self-confidence. It's not self-esteem. So he's not saying once you can look in the mirror and accept yourself and feel good about yourself and you know all of your flaws, then you can go out and love your neighbor in the same way. Jesus isn't talking about affection. He's talking about, it's the same kind of love in Ephesians 5 when um, the Bible tells husbands to love their wives as they love themselves for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. It is that kind of, survival-based instinctive love that Jesus is talking about. So in the same way that you naturally, inherently are born um, with the a love for yourself that manifests itself in self-preservation, you are always seeking to quench your thirst. You are seeking to satisfy your hunger. You are seeking safety. You are seeking some kind of uh, some kind of happiness or fulfillment. This is instinctive for all of us. We don't have to be taught to be self-interested. We are self-interested from birth. And the same way that you are interested and fixated on meeting your own needs, that is how you are to love your neighbor. Seek after their well-being in the same way that you seek after yours. Seek to quench their thirst, satisfy their hunger, make sure that they are taken care of and safe. All the things that you naturally do for yourself also do for your neighbor. That does not mean that Um, you have to always like your neighbor. That doesn't mean that you always want to be best friends with your neighbor. That's not the kind of love Jesus is talking about. So our love for other people is not predicated on how we feel about ourselves that day because the love that we have for our neighbor is not based on feelings. It's based on on a, a decision to love them as instinctively as we naturally love and preserve ourselves. And this idea that you kind of like, you have to have a certain amount of self-esteem before you can love other people. A term that a word that people really like nowadays is, is privilege. Well, I would say this is a very privileged argument thinking that, okay, I have to make sure that I have the right amount of self-love before I can go out and, and feed the homeless. I can go out and fight sex trafficking. Like I can, before I can go out and help other people who need help. Like while we are trying to, you know, uh, think that we are awesome or look in the mirror and like what we see, there are people who are hungry. 
There are people who are thirsty. There are people who um, are disabled and who need our help, who need our love, who need our resources and our time and our energy. Are we really going to wait until we have the right amount of self-esteem to go out and help people who are really in need? I mean, that is such a, a small-minded, narrow view of what love is and how we are called to act as Christians. God says that we're supposed to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow him. And again, this is a liberating reality that we get to do that now. Like we get to deny ourselves now. We don't have to wait around for that. If we are in Christ, we don't have to wait around to go out and love other people. We don't have to wait around to go out and serve other people. We don't have to worry about how we feel about ourselves before we go out and love other people. That includes your family. That includes your spouse. That includes everyone who is around you. You get to do that right now. Because the Bible also says that it's the love of Christ that compels us to do those things. Not the love for ourselves, the love for our Christ. Self-love is flimsy. It's ever-changing. It is superficial. It, uh, you, you, it's unreliable. But Christ's love, which compels us to love other people well, is reliable. It is steadfast. It is unchanging. It's unconditional. And it never runs out. And so, again, that shift in perspective is so freeing to go from what sounds good to what is actually good according to what God says is good. Yeah, that's exactly right. You've done a great job of just outlining what the problem is with this, with the crazy sort of upside down culture that we're living in right now, this culture of self-love and it's everywhere. And I just, before, before I wrap this up, I want to ask you a question. It's not necessarily in my outline today, but I think I know there are so many people listening to this, a lot of new listeners, uh, especially during the Rona, we've been uh, talking a lot about what's happening in the culture. And I know there's a lot of people that are feeling really discouraged right now. A lot of people who are just like, you know, people who are out of work, people who are uh, worried uh, about where, you know, the direction of our country. And I'm hearing a lot of solutions being, you know, thrown around. And it's my my humble uh, belief as I spend time with the Lord and read his word, uh, God, God never uh, deviates from his word. And he said that he's the healer. And he said, uh, he said that if we will call on his name, he will hear us and he will answer our prayers and he'll heal our land. When you talk to parents and uh, even your fellow millennials who are struggling with what's happening right now, what is the hope? that we have it's is it in politics uh is it in is it in you know books what is it where where is the hope that we can turn to so our hope is certainly not in politics or any politician although i do of course i believe that it's important to vote there are hundreds of thousands of men and women who have given their lives for us to be able to exercise that right and that privilege, which most people around the world will never be able to exercise. So that's right. I, I do believe that it's important to vote. That means it's important to um, understand what's going on on a local level. That means it's important to understand the issues as best as you can. I always look at a wide array of sources to try to get the whole story and not allow headlines to dictate what I feel or think. Um, but also, even if we do all of those things, even if we know everything that's going on, we vote, we make sure that we know who our elected officials are, we make sure that we know what's going on in the public school system in our area, even if we do all of those things, we do so not with the obsession over um, over our own control over the future, because we don't have that. Yes, we're called to work and to try to make better the things that are in front of us, but we understand that we are working with the peaceful confidence that God is completely and 
totally sovereign. At no point has God in 2020 or ever, but especially in 2020, at no point has God looked down and said, what the heck is going on? Right. So surprised by that. I'm so shocked by that. Yeah. Yes. Or God has never been taken off guard. He has never been shocked. He has never been surprised. He plans and purposes all of it. He doesn't come in later to pick up the mess. As all of this craziness is going on outside of our window and on Twitter and Instagram and all of this, God is working. Remember that God's work, all the things that he is doing, drawing people to himself, um, using uh, Christians as the hands and feet of Jesus to serve other people and to share his gospel, glorifying himself, that stuff doesn't make headlines. That stuff doesn't make the nightly news. That stuff doesn't trend on Twitter. That doesn't mean that it's not happening. What I try to remind Christians of is the realist reality is not what you watch on Fox News or any news network, is not what you see on Twitter, is not what you read in the New York Times. The realist reality that we exist in, that we, that all people, but especially we as Christians exist in, is God's eternal plan of redemption that has never stopped moving forward from the beginning of time that has never slowed down, has never taken a detour, has never hit a bump in the road or reached an obstacle. It has gone forward exactly how God has always predestined that it was going to, and that will not change. And another piece of encouragement is that it's scary, I think, to think of persecution against the church, and we are worried about our kids growing up in an unfree country, maybe where they don't have freedom of religion, maybe they don't have freedom of speech. And, you know, there's a reason to be concerned with all of that. But I would just remind people that the church, the true church of God is refined by fire, not destroyed by fire. I do believe that we are seeing a pruning of the church, that cultural Christianity will die in our lifetimes, which is scary in some ways, because that means that Christian culture is not in the mainstream and is not affecting mainstream conversations anymore. But it also means that the true church has the ability to shine. And that is a reason to rejoice. And of course, we rejoice and hope in the reality of heaven, that we have an eternal glory that is far outweighing all of the misery of today. And one day we won't have to worry about politics or controversy or my truth and your truth, God will rule in perfect peace and all of his enemies will be defeated. And we have that to look forward to. Yeah, we really do. And that's the hope that we have. It's not an excuse for us to not uh, to stay off off uh, off the battlefield. I'm always telling people, get off the sidelines, get onto the front lines. So much of what's happening in the culture right now is because the church has remained silent. And I so appreciate your uh, willingness to really step into the fray and uh, it's not that much fun. I think sometimes people look at it and go, oh, it must be neat. You know, the podcast, you got this. It's not very much fun uh, a lot of times to get death threats and have people, you know, constantly telling you that you're ugly and you're stupid. And uh, and we know, too, that at the end of the day, God has called each of us to first to be obedient. And so it's looking forward to heaven. And that's really what we're doing. We're like, Lord, help us to do what you want us to do here on earth. And we're looking forward. We really are to his return. Ali Beth Sucky, it's been a joy to have you. Where can people find your book? Because it's releasing right really soon, August 11th. Yeah. August 11th. So everyone can just go to AliBethStuckey.com slash book. And that is where you will be able to find all of the different places where you can buy it. 
I love it. You guys, the name of the book is You're Not Enough and That's Okay, Escaping the Toxic Culture of Self-Love. And it was really written, I think, for such a time as this. So, Ali Beth, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a delight to have you. Thank you so much for having me. For more information on Allie Beth Stuckey and all the things that she's doing to impact the culture uh, in the name of Christ, you can go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash podcast, and I will link back to all things Allie Beth in the show notes today. Don't forget, we've started a brand new Bible study at Mom Strong International. Join the community there. We've got about 17,000 of you now writing God's word out with us every month. You guys, we are called to be stewards of the word of God who can rightly divide and defend his word. We love you guys. Stay faithful. And I'll see you back here on Monday. For more encouragement, visit me online at thebusymom.com.